As one of America's largest financial services companies, Nationwide makes simplicity a priority so financial professionals can help their clients achieve their retirement goals. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. This is the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. I'm Tom Keen, along with Jonathan Farrow and Lisa Abramowitz. Join us each day for insight from the best in economics, geopolitics, finance, and investment. Subscribe to Bloomberg Surveillance On Demand on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere you get your podcasts. And always on Bloomberg.com, the Bloomberg Terminal, and the Bloomberg Business App. The charm of Laura Ram is she comes from a foreign exchange background. She's chief U.S. economist at FS Investments and follows the data like an animal. I love, Laura, how you're looking at real yields. I just went in and looked not at the 10-year, the vanilla real yield, but the inflation-adjusted five-year yield. It is th- I'm thunderstruck. We're out three standard deviations. We're back to 2009 are real yields now where they have a real effect on the American economy? I think we've seen that. We were just talking about autos. These are the interest rate sensitive sectors that you know have been impacted by Fed hikes, the nominal part of the cycle. I think as the Fed sort of transitions to the end of that, the decline, the 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 edging down of inflation has this insidious effect via the real rates channel. And I think that's what we're going to continue to feel in the housing market, in the auto market. It's going to be a weight on consumers. You look at the interest rate burden that households are facing. It's not catastrophic, but it is a lot higher and hundreds of billions of dollars matter. What do you think this will do to commercial real estate? I mean, I get it. It's not a big part of the GDP pie, but it's emotional. And your charm is you're down in Philadelphia rooting for Bryce and the rest of them. You're in Philadelphia, and the answer is you don't have that Manhattan stars in your eyes. What's commercial real estate going to do in Philadelphia or in Phoenix? Well, and those are two very different questions because I think we've seen geographically, regionally, a huge dispersion amongst performance. We're still very focused on finding the opportunity within a sector that's going to have some clear problems, like the center business district, where, you know, we are also experiencing a lower vacancy rate that seems to be settling in well uh, lower than pre-COVID. But it doesn't mean there is an opportunity. That's what you've got to love about commercial real estate. There's so many sectors, multifamily, um, you know, industrial, you're even seeing hospitality still doing pretty well, again, selectively. So it's an area where you can really dig in and find a lot of opportunity, you know, it's going to find a new equilibrium. We're seeing that in housing. We're seeing it in commercial real estate. But right now, you really want to be the bank. You want to look towards income. There are ways to invest in commercial real estate because it's going to continue to be a really important sector for any portfolio. 
to diversify into. And Laura, this really speaks to your theme that you don't necessarily think that we're going back to the era of low rates and low inflation that we were pre-pandemic. How much is this the real issue, the threat that the disinflation that we're seeing in autos, in housing, in some other metrics is a head fake? And when that leads to comps year over year in six months that make it easier for inflation to go higher? This is exactly the point that I try to draw out for people because housing has been a primary example. Yes, cyclical headwinds with interest rates, but structural tailwinds given the underbuilding and underinvestment that we've had in this sector for years. So as we look ahead, you know, unfortunately, a forecast is in a, a recession is in my forecast, mild recession looking <clears throat> ahead um, into the beginning of next year. But it doesn't have to be severe. And the fact that interest rates are now going to offer investors two-way risk is an absolute game changer. We've had 40 years of, you know, with exceptions, but a trend of falling interest rates. And it has caused people, investors, to change their behavior over generations. And looking ahead, if we get this bounce in our star, I think we're seeing it, um, you know, look at the Look at the Bloomberg ag, right? It is flat on the year. Despite a lot of up and down, you cannot lock in a price gain and you're left relying on income that still is very low relative to where inflation is. Lara, thank you for your input. Lara Rain there of FS Investments. Phil Camparelli with us around the table. Doesn't want to talk about this. Multi-asset portfolio manager, JP Morgan Asset Management. Like, what are you, so Phil, you understand Amazon, I right? Come on. I, and you, I you love Gladiator it. as well. John. Great movie. Great movie. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> We're recreating it. Let's Carry talk on. about this market. <laughs> on Friday, we get some earnings. We won't talk about your bank specifically, of <clears> course, <throat> for obvious reasons. What are you expecting this earnings season from the banks, from big tech? And can this rally broaden out? John, uh, so it's going to look better than it did in March. I think there were so many head fakes and noise at the end of the first quarter that even the Fed got faked out on, right? They expected us to be in recession by now. There were a lot of people saying that by July and September, the Fed could be easing. And as you said, right, this is a year where the narrative changes every single week, and that's true. John, we, are, we have dropped our recession probability from 40% in March to 25% now. We are pretty highly convicted that we're in the midst of a soft landing. So what does a soft landing look like? It means that the economy can continue to grow and avoid recession, and that's why we dropped our probability. The second piece is employment stays strong. And I think that's been the signal all along. Like There have been people like, we're going to recession, we're going to recession. You need this labor market to crack. And that has has been very, very resilient over time. And then the third piece is the easing has to get has to get pushed out. And that, I think, was one of the biggest misses this year was that there was so much easing priced into the back half of the year that had to go along with the right. crisis. You you had to be long a crisis if you believed in an easing in the back half of this year. Now, the deflation trajectory flattens out. That's certainly the case, which is why the easing is being priced out. You heard Mary Daly last night, two more hikes. I think that's appropriate. They're probably going to do one more hike than they're, than they're comfortable with because we're nowhere near our target of 2% core inflation. But it is an awesome time to be a multi-asset investor. We were up 10% in the first six months of this year in a balanced fund. Nobody's talking about that. Everybody's talking about NVIDIA. 
I think the balance fund up 10% is really exciting as well. And certainly more than that three-month oh. T-bill. That's at 5%. That's been my nemesis all year. And there's way too many people. I love your right research, now. Now, the concision of it at the end. You say, do this, do this, do this. But the Phil Camparelli uh, idea here is you got to be in the market. Yes. You got. I want you to talk right now to people who are scared stiff. Mm -hmm. What's the level of fear out in the street? Because don't you have to go yep. up with a wall of worry? Yeah, so, and, and we've heard it all year. We've heard debt ceiling, we've heard regional bank crisis. It was a foregone conclusion that there was going to be a recession this year, Tom. And I'm not talking people to get out of cash and go into equities. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying when you're making a bet on a balanced, diversified portfolio, which, by the way, has worked over so many years, you're not making a bet on stocks or bonds. You're making a bet on the relationship between those two asset classes, which was absolutely like inverted last year. Last year was the first year since 1974 that both stocks and bonds went down in the same year. And I came on the show and told you, you know what, we have the best forecasted return for the 60-40 that we've had since 2010 coming into this year. So Tom, those are the folks that I'm after. They're sitting there in the three-month T-bill. It's like the best hedge fund out there, right, at five plus percent. And they're saying, I'm safe here. Well, you know what, if the balance fund's up 10% in six months, their opportunity cost just, just went up. That said, you talked about the soft landing probability, yeah. which hinges a bit on disinflation. Yes. Ongoing. Yes. We've seen disinflation with used car prices going down, mm -hmm. as John mentioned. We've seen disinflation in some of the rental prices. Mm -hmm. We've seen disinflation even, even from the smallest small business survey. Mm -hmm. If you look out, that starts to change later yes. in the year. Is the disinflation that we're seeing a head fake? And could that be a real uh, potential risk? Lisa, that's our that's our biggest risk to our forecast. If disinflation starts to trend higher towards the end of the year. So, you know, when this base effect of June rolls off and we get this this move in, in uh, you know, on, on tomorrow's CPI number, the risk is, and I think this is why the, the base case has to be for central bankers to talk extremely hawkishly. They cannot afford to let the 10-year treasury move lower in rate. Why? Because that controls the housing market. And if the housing market and the owner's equivalent rent part of this shows firmness towards the end of this year, you know that's a scenario where you could have equities going down and bonds going down. Not to the same extent of last year. Last year was a historical event, but that's probably our biggest risk, that that disinflationary curve starts to trend higher. And instead of sticking inflation, accelerating inflation happens. And that would be our biggest risk. Now, that's not our base case. We're not investing for that. But that is probably more of a risk than the US falling into recession by the end. Of what the are you investing for? 3% inflation, a return to two? Do you see anything compatible with a return to two right now? Um, no. So we don't have enough of a growth kind of deterioration story, John, that would that would speed up a disinflationary back to 2% before the end of next year. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't invest in yeah. this market. As long as the disinflationary process continues to work. If it's flat, it's okay. Maybe you don't get the return in bonds, but maybe you start to get that breath story in what I call the S&P 490, which is everyone else, uh, to be able to, 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 right. to, keep, to keep the market going. It's like the Dow 27. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm looking here, John. Headline inflation, 4% prior plunging to 3.1% survey. I don't think enough has been made about tomorrow. You get a headline inflation number. What if that comes in at 2.9%? Mm, Two-handle. Like, that like makes it up. Stunning. <laughs> but they know that. They know that last June's number was 1.2%, and that's rolling off. So if you get a high 0.1 or a low 0.2, that's a base effect. That's not going to make them say, sure. let's wave a victory flag on inflation. And I think that's, that's, that's the real signal. I'm trying to make this exciting, Bramo. 
going into tomorrow morning. We're doing yeah, a great job. We're working Thanks. At it. We're Phil Camparelli there, JP Morgan Asset Management. Nobody ever says make it complicated. That is why Nationwide makes simplicity a priority by providing financial professionals with straightforward, client ready resources. From clear strategies to help clients meet retirement savings and income needs to ways to cover rising health care costs and more. Nationwide simplifies planning so more time can be spent helping clients. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Top of the Google search message right now is Shakira and Sir Lewis Hamilton. They're getting a lot of of Google (laughs) love uh, coming off of the Formula One race. Right behind them. In a Google search is Claudia Sam. She is an economist, a former Fed economist and founder of Sam Consulting, and she has been out there and visible over the measurement of recession. We're thrilled uh, that Dr. Sam could join us this morning. Claudia, you mentioned California. It's ginormous. It's as big as the German economy. And all of a sudden, California's unemployment rate goes from 3.8% up to 4.5%. Should we follow and be aware of California? So uh, we should be watching every state, every labor market that we can. Remember, the Fed's policy (laughs) is set for the national economy, right? So we can't expect the Fed to get too excited about what's happening in California. Because right now, we have to, um, this could be there were a lot of tech layoffs, there were, there were big disruptions in the Bay Area. So what we're seeing in California could be unique to California, or it could mean that we're headed to slowing overall. What do you see in your data? I know mid-month, you get a massive redo here. You'll have that out in 10 days, whatever. But what do you see right now? Let's get out in front. I need to make some news this morning, Claudia. Yeah, well, the economy, the labor market is in a great place for people. So because they've been the workers have had the upper hand when I look at the wage data, which I think a lot of people were, you know, wringing their hands over yesterday. It's like, how do you think you're going to get workers back into the labor market and deal with labor shortages if you don't pay them more? Like this is Econ 101. So to me, seeing that we're still adding jobs, that's really good. So but but lots of people find a way to turn it into really bad. But I, I won't do that. Claudia, I love your note where you said it's not hard to find an angry macroeconomist, uh, macroeconomist. At this point, everyone's made mistakes and everyone's trying to figure out how to carve out a niche for themselves to explain what just happened. How do you understand the dissonance between everyone's expectations of where the economy was headed and what actually has happened? Well, as I started there, every macroeconomist has missed something this time, right? And they're very different things that we've missed. Um, so, and and really, people get kind of not happy when they're making calls and they're not getting it. They sometimes get even less happy when they look around and see people who've made big mistakes all over the news. So I think that's where, you know, I pointed out in this uh, piece you're referencing on Bidenomics is that 
you know, like you got to take it with a grain of salt, always what your advisors come to you with. And I think right now, unless they're bringing a lot of nuance, it could do more damage than good. But what are we misunderstanding just to the point of the making mistakes? And we've all made plenty of them. But what are we misunderstanding about pandemic economics, as Tom would call it, or where we are in the recovery or where we are in the distortions, whether it's California, people moving away from there or the Northeast, or even people's propensity to switch jobs, shift locations, spend more than they otherwise would to capitalize an experience that they were denied during 2020? Right. So I think it's all in there, right? The economy is upside down and backwards, and we need to be aware that every data release you get could be leading us astray because it's not clear yet. Are we doing the rebalancing or are we going down? And uh, we'll know more about that in a few months. In terms of you know what went wrong, I certainly was expected that the economy, the supply would come back online more quickly <clears throat> than it did. And I think on the other side, we see this uh, disinflation right now without unemployment rising, which is a huge puzzle to macroeconomists that would use models like the Phillips curve. So, you know, we'll keep going at it. And, and that's where, as analysts, if we dig deep in the data, that's kind of where we should stay in terms of grounding our analysis. Claudia, what I love about when you come on is my brain gets going and I'm doing research I usually have never done. Like, I've never done this, folks. Out of the, the percent of GDP of America, and there's like 23 states or so with under 1% of America's GDP. They're tiny. You know, we know the names. <clears throat> Texas and California make up 23% of American GDP. Do people like you focus more on those big states or do you aggregate everything together? Frankly, there hasn't been a lot of work, say, at the Fed on regional effects. Uh, they have it, uh, experts in the building who are not economists, and yet they don't play a, an integral role. I think, you know, we need to pay attention to states because they could be the canary in the coal mine. Like, if we could get ahead of this even a little bit if we get a recession, right. that's important. Now, I will say states like Texas and particularly Florida, like, they have more than recovered their losses and employment. So it's you want to look at the states, but that's not going to be the place you stop with the analysis. Where do you look with the analysis? What do you look at with the analysis as you try to measure a SOM-like recession? Yeah, I, I had no idea this was going to become such a thing because, um, you know, I developed the SOM <clears throat> rule in order to start up fiscal policy, send out the checks. But, you know, people want to use it as an indicator. That's fine. But the SOM rule is not a forecast tool. Right, that does it does not tell us about where we're going. It tells us about where we are. So, but knowing early in a recession that we're in one, that's that's helpful to know. We're speaking with Claudia Som of Som Consulting, who is famed for her uh, Som rule with respect to employment. We're about 24 hours away from CPI in the United States. The headline is supposed to drop from 4% to 3.1% year over year. That is the headline figure, core less so, to 5% from 5.3%. Claudia, <clears throat> one of the big concerns that we've been hearing about from a lot of our guests this morning is a head fake when it comes to disinflation in the U.S. and the pace of it. We have seen used car prices come down. We have seen rents come down. We have seen some certain peripheral areas of the economy show signs of disinflating. Is it enough and is it showing signs of consistency to bring us where we need the Fed, uh, where the Fed would like us to go? We're still in a place of a lot of uncertainty. And the Fed leans much more on 
the uh, you know the ta- or the using unemployment versus uh, inflation. So that's more of like a rule of thumb, and we're so far off that. Right, we're back to the days of before the recession when unemployment was so low, and yet inflation didn't pick up. And it's like, what what is going on? So I think you know we've carried that uncertainty about how those relationships work <clears throat> into the present. And that's partly why I think we come out of this with some rethink from the macro profession. Right now, I'm also watching specific sectors, whether it's autos and the idea of prices going down for used cars. I'm looking at the housing market, the mystery of why housing prices haven't cracked at a time when mortgage rates are the highest going back uh, since 2016, I believe, at the earliest, actually further than that. I think it was more than that, decades. Uh, Claudia, what sector are you looking at for a tea leaf in order to project where we are headed with inflation? Well, I think uh, you, you listen to the news cycle and you hear things like I had not planned on last week doing state dependent SOM rules, right? But I but I did. Uh, so in terms of industry, it's like you go after where the story is. You know, you look in the IT, the high, the tech and see it, like, what does that look like? <clears throat> and actually some of it, there's some places where we had really a lot of trouble bringing workers in like state and local government. And they're like one of the big additions right now. Mm-hmm. So again, that looks like rebalancing to me. Uh, but like you said, you're going to pick up and follow any sector that is right. still higher inflation. Claudia, I, I just had a nightmare. I was thinking about you as a Fed president or a Fed governor. <laughs> we all, I can, can you see Claudia at the Eccles building around the table? Sure. You know, I think she's take been out pizza, very close to know, that Michelle when she Smith, works at the Fed. Michelle Smith will get her a Starbucks. Claudia, the character of the dissent right now at the Fed, I mean, we know that if you were there, there would be a visible SOM dissent, no question about it. What's the nature, the character of our non-dissent dissent at the Fed? So I think it's really unfortunate that you have like straight line votes and then you get to see a summary of economic projections that there's clearly disagreement, right? Like I, I don't know why they're shy about saying that you know, there's a lot of moving pieces here and we there ought to be somebody. And some of these people have been openly uh, for a pause. Right. And then there's been some openly Fed officials openly for going forward. How do you get a pause out of that? You think you're going to do 25 basis points more twice? Why aren't you doing it now? Right. Like that, the, yeah. Everything was very puzzling with the Fed. Uh, Claudia, Sam, thank you so much. Greatly appreciate it. Congratulations on the impact Dr. Sam is having on our slowdown, stagnation, recession debate. Nobody ever says make it complicated. That is why Nationwide makes simplicity a priority by providing financial professionals with straightforward, client-ready resources. From clear strategies to help clients meet retirement savings and income needs to ways to cover rising health care costs and more, Nationwide simplifies planning so more time can be spent helping clients. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. 
Joining us now, and this is important for Global Wall Street, he writes a really intelligent note for Northwestern Mutual. Brent Schutte joins us, our CIO. And buried in the note is a really important observation that we've downplayed. I've been as guilty of this as anyone, uh, Brent. And that is, you look abroad at the developed nation equities, and you say that they are remarkable, that they are remarkably cheap. We're beginning to hear this in our analysis what equities abroad are remarkably cheap? Well, I think there's many parts of the market that are actually cheap. Consider that U.S. small and mid caps trade at 13 to 14 times earnings that are marked down uh, 10 to 15 percent. And so I contrast and compare that to the large cap U.S. equities, which is where everybody has wanted to have been for the past few years, and they trade at 20 times earnings. And so I, I think you were mentioning short, mid, and long term. Uh, unfortunately, I'm more of a pessimist. I do think there is a recession that is likely. I know that narrative has changed, and I think that puts more of a wet blanket on equities in the near term. But I do think in the middle, uh, medium term, I do think the parts of the market that are cheap will do well coming out of what I believe will be a short and shallow recession. And that's where I encourage people to position their portfolios more towards those areas, such as U.S. small, U.S. mid, and dare I even say international equities, which I right. know have underperformed for some time, but are remarkably cheap, and I expect better days on the opposite side of the recession. Are there tech growth performers in the mid-cap area? Yeah, but how much do you want to pay for those? I mean, I, I know that AI has been the craze. I know that earnings growth has slowed, and that's why people have gravitated back towards those. But it reminds me a lot of 1999-2000, where that was the narrative, and then the next seven years, those... Uh, uh, names did well from an earnings perspective, but not from a price perspective. And so I know not every time in history rhymes, but this time period feels a lot like 99 to 2000 in so many different ways, and that being one of the primary ones. Tom earlier said that it's almost silly to discuss recession and all the gloom and doom earlier was uh, perhaps not looking at the actual data, which showed a strong economy. How do you parlay that into a soft and shallow recession that could just ameliorate some of the inflationary pressures just enough to keep growth going on this kind of sphere? Do you think that that is the most likely outcome at a time when there is still this inflationary pressure that's rearing up on the back end of the year? I mean, I, I think current inflationary pressures, as measured by CPI, are highly linked to COVID that is now in the rearview mirror and are going away. But that's not the big concern of the Fed. The big concern is wages. Every economic cycle ends when you run out of labor market slack. And that's where we're at unless people come back to the labor market. And so if you look historically, the Fed hikes rates aggressively as wages reach 4% on non-supervisory and production workers. That's where the last three economic cycles have ended. And we're at 4.7% year over year right now. I don't think the Fed stops until they see the labor market crack which I think we call a recession. And so I think about this liquidity tourniquet that's on the US economy. Uh, and I think that means a recession is likely in the coming quarters. The good news is that I do believe, unless you think the real neutral rate has changed from 2.5%, we're above five. There is plenty of room if inflation is gone for the Fed to cut rates to kind of help cushion that blow. And when you contemplate the consumer still has ample savings uh, and likely will after this recession, I think that's why it's short and shallow. What keeps you up at night that could potentially challenge that assumption of a short and shallow to something that looks more traditional in terms of recession? The Fed keeps hiking. Uh, and so I, I worry every single time the labor market comes out and shows supposed strength uh, and the Fed keeps hiking into that because they want to see it completely gone. I think they've probably already gone too far if they continue to go um, based upon some belief that 
uh, inflation is not completely back to 2%. I, I think every sign points in that direction. If they keep going and they go further and further until they get the labor market to crack, uh, then I think you're going to see or could see something that's a bit deeper. Brent, you said supposed strength. Is there more to this labor market that meets the eye from your perspective? I mean, this is where I think people look at the data over the past year, and it's been very odd. You saw household employment last year for for uh, many months actually be flat. So from, I believe, uh, February to November of last year, household employment rose a whopping 200,000 total, while non-farm payrolls rose 2.8 million. This recession commentary, does anybody realize that gross domestic income has actually been negative for two quarters? That's the opposite of gross domestic product. And so I think there's just so many conflicting data points. You have a, a, a post-COVID recovery that's quite odd. And I think the Fed is reacting to different data uh, that is more strong. And they won't stop until they see it weakening. Uh, and hopefully they don't go too far and want it to weaken so substantially that it does cause that deeper recession. How hard is it to be bullish with that kind of analysis on what the Fed is doing? Well, I joined Team Abramowitz a few a few months ago and became much more bearish for the first time in, in many in many quarters. And you know, I, um, I think there's good news in it. It's more along the lines that you do see parts of the market that are cheap. And I think for people who invested in bonds for years, when rates were at one and three quarters on the Barclays aggregate uh, bond index, they're not five percent. So you have the opportunity, I believe, to hedge your portfolio against downside by investing in bonds, which I think offer real value. Uh, in a period of time where I think inflation is going back to 2% and a hedge against equities once again, which I know they weren't last year, but I think they'll return to their historical kind of uh, role of actually ballasting downside in equity markets. Team Bramo, Brent, thank you. Brent Shitty there of Northwestern Mutual. Thank you, sir. We welcome all of you across this nation to a conversation with Jonathan Miller. He's president and CEO of Miller Samuel. All I can say, folks, is go to the Miller Samuel website and look at what he has wrought. He owns the high ground on owning and renting dynamics in major cities and indeed uh, the nation. Jonathan Miller, what is the trend right now that's not in the zeitgeist? In all that Miller Samuel data, what's the number one thing that people aren't talking about? Uh, well, I think I think that housing prices are going to rise more than we think they are. Uh, that uh, just in the last few months, things have really rebounded <clears throat> price-wise. And it's because I don't think there's enough of sort of consideration given to how much listing inventory is falling off trend, meaning that new <clears throat> listings entering the market are declining uh, because people are heavily right. weighted, wedded to their uh, 3% 30-year fixed. And uh, it's going to take a while for that connection to where Well, that's thin. a key point, John. On the x-axis, how long is a while? Is this a two-year, three-year workout? Or is this an I, eight- or 10-year workout? No, I think it's uh, probably a one- to two-year, maybe, maybe more towards two than one, but I, I think it's a while. I mean, one of the things that we learn is that uh, homeowners uh, take one to two years to capitulate to market conditions. Um, and also too, that people, uh, you know, th this, uh, they have, you know, it's shelter, they have, they have personal needs. And at some point we see more people having to move into the market. The problem is that mortgage rates for those people are more than double what they were. Um, but we're also seeing bidding wars expand because of the shortage, the chronic shortage of supply. So I think this is a couple of years out.
Jonathan, just to sort of uh, give a sense of what we're talking about, is this on average in the U.S. or is this in select markets that are hot or hotter, like New York right now, at least, uh, in other areas? Uh, I I see it as a U.S. Uh, I cover about 50 different housing markets uh, for real estate brokerage, Douglas Solomon, and um, we're seeing the same pattern everywhere, whether it's Southern California, Texas, Florida, uh uh, you know, D.C., uh, Boston, New York City. New York City is probably one of the more robust in uh, in terms of activity just because their um, uh, sort of housing boom, if you call it, was interrupted uh, a little bit early by change in Fed policy because they relate to the party. If we push um, this, this is a national condition. If we push this forward, Jonathan, tomorrow we get CPI, the headline inflation read in the U.S., and a lot of people are expecting some of the year-over-year comps with respect to rent coming in quite significantly because of the fact that we did see a slowdown, at least, in the appreciation of home prices. Do you think people are overstating how much rents can either plateau or even decline, given the trends that you're seeing with pricing probably increasing more than people expect in the housing sphere? I, I think it's an, an overstatement. And also, too, I don't I don't see the two uh, markets as sort of a knee-jerk reaction where one instantly changes over the other. I think, uh, you know, the, the rental market is mixed where we're seeing certainly areas where rents are going down. Um, New York Metro, that's not happening. Uh, it's very vibrant. Um, so it's hard to imagine <laughs> Uh, you know, uh, any kind of sudden move. I think this is, I think we're going to be sort of stuck in this position for uh, for a while, unless there's a meaningful economic event like a recession, which has been forecast for the, in six months from now for the last two years. Um, uh, you know, we're sort of stuck at the moment. And I think time is what changes uh, homeowners' positions in terms of uh, bringing property onto the market. How has the tenor of the purchases of homes changed if people aren't necessarily taking out a 30-year mortgage in the same way, but maybe they're getting a loan from the actual home builder to buy a home, or maybe they're refinancing someone else's loan and putting their name on it to get the lower rate? I mean, how is the nature of the financing just shifted completely to avoid paying the punitive rates that are currently instated at the headline level? Well, I always marvel at, you know, the discussion about affordability is centered on the 30-year fixed, and that's sort of the benchmark. But uh, I've been through many cycles, and you see people work through that, work around that, just for the reason, just with the examples that you gave, home builders are doing a lot of of, uh, offerings on financing, buying down rates. Um, People are getting five ones, seven ones. 10 right. ones uh, as a way to reduce the payment. I mean, there's there's a lot of things that we didn't have to do uh, two years ago because the rate was on the floor. Uh, that no longer exists. Right. John Miller, I'm fascinated what you would say in the case of New York to Governor Hochul of Buffalo and New York City in the state, or to Mayor Adams, or frankly, the mayors, the governors of Florida, or even the way you you cover the fancy people out in Colorado with 8,000 square feet in Aspen. What would you say to public officials about the national outrage that, to be selfish, our kids can't afford to live? Right. So we go through this. It seems like we've been we've had this conversation 
a decade ago and more than that. We, we, there's too much volatility in housing. Um, one of the, the biggest problems is we just need to build more. The, the challenge is to make it middle class affordability. 40% of the, the middle class were sort of wiped out of uh, the ability to buy a house in this right. last year. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, John, we're going to run out of time. rethinking affordability, yeah. what affordability means. John, we're going to run out of time here, but I want to get this in. I think it's too important. All the media, I'm as guilty of this as anyone. All the media wants to look, as Lisa mentioned, OMG, the luxury people are putting $6 million all cash into 4,000 square feet where they can see, you know, Connecticut and, you know, they can see Pennsylvania over to the west. Forget about that. On the Upper East Side, over past 3rd Avenue, where people are just trying to do rent on 2nd and 1st Avenue. What's your prediction for the next 12 months? Uh, I I think that rents are probably going to peak at the um, by the end of the summer, uh, maybe sooner. Um, but I, I see them stuck at some sort of plateau, not not seeing any meaningful right. decline. And that's kind of where we're, we're in in the rental market. Maybe rents aren't going to be rising, but they're not going to be falling. John Miller, thank you so much. Just hugely valuable with Miller Samuel and Douglas Element. Subscribe to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Listen live every weekday starting at 7 a.m. Eastern on Bloomberg.com, the iHeartRadio app, TuneIn, and the Bloomberg Business app. You can watch us live on Bloomberg Television and always on the Bloomberg Terminal. Thanks for listening. I'm Tom Keen, and this is Bloomberg. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF.